Welcome to episode 503 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Righto, team, welcome along to episode 503 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom, Bevan James. I was, how are you going? I'm good, Bevan. So you've got yeah, MyFitnessPal, he's just been talking about his new app he's got. MyFitnessPal. He's on a diet? Yeah. He's on a new diet, team, I'm and you're going to hear why today's show, aren't you? We are. We are. But first... First, wait, what's first? Sponsors. Oh, well, I say sponsors, I thought you were going to give me some yeah. gossip. No. No gossip no. at all? No. What about no. the cricket? We have to give Australia some love on the cricket. We gave them a hard time last week. Yeah. They pulled our pence down this week, yeah, didn't they, John? Good, solid spank. I was trying to explain to Thomas yesterday how badly we got beaten when we were having dinner. Yeah. They batted once, we batted twice, and we still didn't get the amount of runs they got. I know. I'm going to the game this Sunday, uh, this weekend. Oh, nice. I got some tickets to the first day. And so, come on, New Zealand. If I'm there, you play well. <laughs> uh, anyway, I talk is proudly brought to you by Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our patrons. Uh, and these include, oh, no, I'm losing my voice, John. I sound like I'm going through puberty again. Olive, the pipeline pusher, Schweidler. James Trawler Slade. Ka- Kai, a longboard McBride. We've got Paul Silky Smooth Williams. And Christina steaming up the room. Back it up. <laughs> Who came up with that one? I don't know. Let's uh, not even go there. Okay, this week's show, guys, we've got a bit of news. We've got a hot topic. We've got an interview. And it's John's change in diet. Tell us about it. It's not a change in diet. It's just... You have a change in diet? It's, it, well, I suppose it is. It's uh, <laughs> investigating further the low-fat, high-carb no, low-carb, high-fat diet, and really just trying to get some more practical stuff around it. So we're not going to spend ages discussing what it actually is, because we've done that on other shows, but actually how to go and do it for an athlete. And there's a couple of books that come out by Grant Schofield, which really walk you through the process and make it uh, make it pretty straightforward, not too scientific, which is great. Now he was a triathlete, was he? Yeah, he was a good triathlete. Was he was he? Uh, pretty sure he's sub nine-hour sort of guy. Oh, wow. um, and this was back in the... In sort the, of 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So, no, he was, he was solid. Well, very good. Okay, guys, we've got a bit of news, and the biggest piece of news this week is that Fredino is going to be racing Rote this year. Should be. I wonder how much they paid him. Because Maka did it, well, Maka's podcast a couple of weeks ago, he did how much money he was making in the sport. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting. He was saying, I think he got paid. We needed Germany that year. Remember that year we went to Rote? Or mm-hmm. maybe I went to Rote mm-hmm. and you didn't. And, yep. and Maka kind of did Rote but pulled out. I think that might have been the year we were both there. Okay. So that year, he did Germany as well. And mm. he basically talks about how much, on his podcast, it's a good podcast actually, he talks about how much money he was making when he was, and I think when he won Germany that year, it was worth like a quarter of a mil to him. Mm-hmm. You know, and his, but the appearance fee was the most of that. You know, the appearance fee was massive. Um, and, and what Mick was saying is how when Challenge basically got rid of the Ironman brand, what they did is they put all the money, because I think at that time it cost you $250,000 to, $250, to put on an Ironman. Mm-hmm. So what they did at that time is they put all that money into paying pros to come to the race. Mm-hmm. So to get Fredino at, at that time of year, who, who did win Germany last year, yep. I imagine they paid some coin. I, I definitely think they would have. But I also think Fredino is probably pretty motivated to go there and see how fast he can really actually go. So oh, I reckon it's money. 
<laughs> I mean, he's, he will have made so much. I mean, he, yeah, I know, but still, Germany, yeah. Germany's uh, a fast race, you know, like no, nowhere near as fast as Road. No, I, I, yes, definitely, the, it would have been a good financial transaction. But I think he's in the prime of his career now in terms of long course racing. Last year, it was amazing. And what I think the most impressive thing last year was he showed that he can race off the front. It makes no difference. He can get, you know, he'll swim. He'll yeah, be first out of the swim. He's got no dramas, absolutely drilling the bike. And he's got incredible pedigree when it comes to runs. So that's how the record has been broken there in the past. You know, we've seen uh, uh, Andreas Raylert pretty much do that. And then it was Dirk Bockel before him, basically just time trialling and they weren't in a pack or anything like that. Prior to that, it had required a pack to, to go super, super fast. But uh, I just think it's scary to think how fast he might actually go. If he can ride a swimming bike like he did say in, in Ironman Germany last year, and if it's not too hot a day and he can pull out an amazing run, God, you just, I just, what is the current record, Bevan? I'm sure that's Marino, what you're about to Marino do. Marino Van Hilnicke, the, the second fastest time. Uh, what is second? Isn't it 741 or something like 745, that? 745. I'm sure it's 741. 740. 752, so pretty close yep. to. And that must have been... It must be Raylert. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They haven't got the name here, which is weird. Mm. So I definitely think he can go quicker than that. Seven, seven forty. Could he break seven thirty? I think seven thirty could be a, a bridge too far. About the thirty down low, or get the thirties in get, there. Get down to thirty. Get down to a low, so like a seven thirty or seven thirty one. Um, that would be phenomenal. Yeah. But uh, well, if anyone's going to do it, it's him, isn't it? Exactly. The only, th- the only thing with uh, Frodo is that. W- because he's so much better at the bike now, we're not seeing the stupid fast run. No. You know, and which is, you know, the compromise you make, and we kind of understand why that's happening, but it would be cool to see him knock out like a 235. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. He could easily do that in reasonable conditions. Well, easily. and also if he didn't just absolutely blitz the bike, just if he had a solid ride mm. and decided, no, I'm just going to try to have a good run day. Because, mm. you know, we've seen him ride like a legend now, mm. but it's come at a few minutes in the run, and so... It's interesting. What do you think is going to happen with the Brownleys next year after the Olympics? Uh, hard to know. I don't think there'll be any copper Ironman. Um, you think so for another Olympics? Yeah, I would Tokyo. have thought so. Yeah. Okay. Who knows? Well, just we were all talking about um, what's the Spanish guy's name? Gomez. Gomez. We've, we've talked about him, you know, coming over, which seems pretty obvious now. It'd be cool if the Brownleys came here as well. <clears throat> yes, it would. I, I don't think they're as suited to Ironman as what say Brownlee, uh, what Gomez is. So, the one one little spanner in the works there for Fredino though is I'm not sure if he's had the baby or they're about to have the baby. But it's very close to to now. Or it may have may have recently happened. Got a baby on board. Sometimes changes things a little bit. He's never going to want to rest again, John. Yeah. <laughs> See you later. Yeah. So <laughs> it's all out the back door. Yeah, oh, training so. changes when the kids turn up. Should be interesting at road this year. Oh, really interesting. I wonder who else we have to get to race against him. He's also going to have to do an Ironman somewhere as well. Let's not forget that. So he is the reigning Kona champion, but he's still got to go and validate somewhere. So is he not validated? No, I'm sure he hasn't. So he's going to have to go go and uh, tootle around the course somewhere. So that's always I that. When he'll do that? Because if he's doing road. That's always the challenge, isn't it? Road's what June, July, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're not going to want to try to do an Ironman after that. But Pete Jacobs sort of did that and got himself into a spot trouble. of bother. But you know. What impact is this going to have on her? If, if he's taking this super seriously in terms of being in the best possible shape he can be for Rote, plus he's got to do another Ironman, plus then be in top shape for, for Kona, I think he can do it. But 
but the clock's ticking, isn't it? Mm. You know, like he almost needs to do an Ironman kind of now mm. to tick that Ironman box. It would so be the thing I would do. If I was a pro and I knew I was in for next year, man, I, the first thing I'd do is go and sign up for one of those late season races and just go and do it. I'm going to check to see if he hasn't done one of those late season. I'm maybe, sure maybe he hasn't. We, yeah, you're probably right, but let's just check. Okay, while you're doing that, John. Um, Challenge Wanaka's coming up this weekend. And... Good race. It looks like a good race. Oh, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, so, it's really good. It's probably the best field we've ever seen there, eh? As in yes. depth of field. Yep. And different dynamics on how the race could unfold. So, Dylan McNeese is the undisputed legend down there. He's won in 2013, 2014, 2015. In pretty handy times. Last year went 8.37.14, which is, for that course, is impressive. Uh, last year he took it out, uh, had a bit of a battle on his hands with Dougal Allen who came in about three minutes after him, and Courtney Ogden was in third. Last year, Jenna Crawford took the race out by 10 minutes or 12 minutes from Laura Siddle and Michelle Bremer. Um, Richard Usher still has the overall course record at 8.34. Don McNeese, no surprise, has a swim course record. Dougal Allen, 4.30 on the bike, where he ripped that up last year. Oh, um, pick it up, John. Fredino won Sportsman of the Year in 2015 in Germany. Oh, yeah, it's a big deal. But to win Sportsman of the Year for the whole country, that's mm. pretty big. Mm. That, that's pretty mad. That shows how big Ironman is in Germany. Because I reckon if Cam Brown had won Ironman World Championships, would have you got Sportsman of New, Ze- in New Zealand? Yes. You think? Oh, unless we'd won the World Cup in rugby or something, but definitely. But you think yeah. of like football in Germany? Mm. Mm. Oh, he's a big deal. I mean, he's an Olympic champion. Yeah, totally. That, that but to get Sportsman of the Year in Germany in a country mm. of 40, 50 million people, mm. that's pretty impressive. Mm. So, no, you know, Germans you. love their triathlon. Yeah. Gina Crawford, he, she is just <laughs> ripping up all the records over there. She's got the overall course record at 9.24. Uh, and then she's got the swim record, the bike record. Um, Rebecca Keat has the run record. What's interesting about this year is... According to Torsten's ratings, which is statistically, you know, how we, we rank athletes going to races, Dougal Allen's going to take this race out by five minutes. Mm, and the reason, the rationale behind that is he's only got a couple of races under his belt. So he had a good race here last year, and the year before, I think he might have been third second, or fourth yeah, or something. Year before, the year before. Think, yeah. Plus he had a good race last year at somewhere like Ironman Sweden or something like that. So he hasn't had one of those crappy races which, you know, really, um, or average races which really sort of blow your numbers out. And Dylan McNeese has had a couple of those in terms of, uh, say, uh, and he finished, did he finish Kona last year? I can't remember. Um, but he's also had some some poor results at, at Rote, and I remember at Challenge Aldmira, he had a poor race there. And likewise with the other guys in the field here, some of them have had those poorer races, so more races under their, um, under their belts, which is why they're ranked a little bit differently. But Dylan McNeese is ranked second at um, 8.42, and Joe Skipper is ranked 8.42 also. Uh, then you've got Mike Twelsick in there at 8.44, Pierre Bittner at 8.45, and Matt Russell at 8.50. So... Yeah, I think we've talked about this before, but there's so many different dynamics here. You know, Dylan's going to be um, clearly out the front, and by quite some margin, a lot of those guys are not great swimmers. And then he's going to be doodling along on the bike and waiting for the onslaught to come. And especially if, you know, Joe Skipper's swim is a lo- is quite a bit slower in ranking terms than um, M- Mikey Twelsick. 
Um, but if those guys get together, those he's one of the strongest bikers in the sport. Mikey Twelsick, he's been right off the front um, with guys in Kona before, and he's had a I think eleventh place in Kona, and and Joe Skipper was not far off that uh, mm. last year either. So those guys are the, the the real deal legends on the bike. They can run. Um, it's just a matter of, uh, especially Joe Skipper. It's a matter of you know how fast they can run and. Dylan McNeese, you know, he's, he's nice and steady down there on the run, um, but he's not sort of your 240s guy, so he's going to need to be what right in the mix. He, what time did he do last year? Do you think um, well, his expected run is two, two, 258. Okay. So I, I think he's, he's normally pads out around that sort of 255 to three-hour mark down yep. there. So, yeah, it's going to be a really interesting day at the office. Um, also got Graham O'Grady, which he'll probably be a good... Uh, Alliance with Dylan McNeese because he's a great swimmer. I'm not sure if he'll quite keep up in the swim, um, but he will be be pretty close and at least give um, Dylan somebody to somebody to hopefully ride with a bit. So we're we're going for Dougal Allen, and I saw on I mean we're going for Dylan, Dylan McNeese because he's a good Christchurch lad. Um, I did see Joe Skipper's bike got mangled on the way over, and yeah, uh, what's the story there? And I'm sure he'll be able to get it fixed. I mean, there's good some good bike shops down there, but it got mangled on the way over, so not plain sailing for him. Yeah. Girls side of things, I think we've got a really interesting race here as well because you kind of got Yvonne, who is a legend of the sport and consistent performer, getting a little bit older now, but still mm-hmm. showing the results. And then you got Gina, who I wonder how much her heart's in it right now, you know, mm-hmm. based on the fact that some of the kind of posts she's done recently, which are about pulling away from the sport a little bit. Uh, a, has she done that kind of next level training it takes to win a race? Mm-hmm. And B, does she have to fight because her life's kind of going in a different direction? So I think we've got a really exciting race on the girl side of things as well. And I don't think we can, can write off the other girls as well. Laura Siddle's definitely an improving athlete and she's been out, uh, I know she was in Christchurch at one stage, so she's been down under all all of our summer preparing. So I think she wasn't that far behind Gina last year. She could be, you know, if those girls aren't on their top game. And you know, you know, Vivon Van Vlerken, it's the middle of her off season. I know that she bases herself out of Australia a fair bit, but she may not be in absolute A game shape. So yeah, I agree. It could be quite an interesting day. And and again, like the guys race, you know, Gina's gonna have a big lead on Yvonne um, coming out of the swim. And then uh, who knows what's gonna happen on the bike and they're they're fairly comparable on the run. Yvonne's a, a bit better runner, but, you know, um, Gina on her day can, can probably match her. So, yeah, should be should be interesting. And then you've got Simone Maher as well, be nipping at their heels. So, going to be a good race. It's going to be a great race. Unfortunately, I'm not doing the voice work this year, John. I, I couldn't make it this year, which I'm kind of gutted with because it's it's always a great day at Challenge Wanaka, isn't it? Mm, it's great such course. a beautiful like, race. <clears throat> it's, um, you know, for, we've, we've talked about this before, Magical swim in terms of nice clear water. The bike is a real challenge. You know, it's it's shitty, big chip surfaces. Oh, beautiful not, at the same time. It's not. It's not like it, the roads are shitty in terms of potholes and stuff everywhere. It's just a really Hard big chip. slow chip, and there's lots of undulations and stuff. Great, you know, definitely, arguably one of the most scenic bike rides anywhere in the world. And then uh, I love the run. The run's nice. You have a mixture of sort of running on the trails by the river and, and running a bit, a little bit through res- up residential. And, down, and it's probably slightly, probably neat decline, isn't it? Uh, you've got a few little ups, but they're kind of spiky. Yeah, you, you, you got one main up, and then yeah, you've got um, some downs. Declines. So the, the run times down there don't seem to be impacted too much by the the ups and downs, and you have a fair amount of off road running, which is nice smooth surface, but that's quite forgiving on your legs. So yeah, it's a great race. Yeah, game on! Well, good luck to everyone racing at Challenge Wanaka this weekend, because we know quite a few listeners will be. So good luck to you guys out there, smacking it in Wanaka. Okay, Jonbo. So just some random news. Coast to coast, I was doing the voice work at the race on the weekend. Uh, Sam Clark dominated the dojo. 
by 52 minutes. It was, it was, the only problem was there wasn't much of a field. No, there wasn't. And I was thinking to myself, you know, we've got lots of events these days in Ironman. You go, is there really much point having prize money there? Yes, they should be giving back to the professional side of things. Yep. But I'm looking at this race now going, it's one, nobody, it was one really, game. nobody really cares about, I mean, they care who wins. But these, they're not household names. Like these guys race so infrequently. And yes, I think, you know, the, the race now is they don't have a title sponsor. They don't have the, the big numbers that they had in the past. It's not a money-making machine. Um, I kind of wonder if there's any point to having the prize money now. Well, yeah. Oh. So what they do in Coast to Coast, uh, uh, this was historically over a few years ago. I mean, what was the peak? How many people would it get? Oh, well over a thousand. Okay, so I think yeah. they had like six, six, six or seven hundred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the coast to coast, they had ten grand New Zealand for for the win, and I, off the top of my head, I think it's then it's like five, and then three for the for the second and third. So yeah. it's a, it's a fair chunk of their budget to be blown out there on uh, on prize money when you're not really getting a race of it. The girl, girls' race was a bit of race. No, girls' there. race was great, the, the, um, but the guys' race, Sam Clark was twenty minutes. Of, no, it's fifty two. Fifty two. No, after the run, he was twenty minutes oh, ahead. Yes, and then uh, the water is forty minutes ahead, and then he put another few minutes in the. He was killing it. Yeah. But again, the guy who got second was 44. And, yeah. uh, and great effort. Uh, absolutely. A, a great effort. And the guy got off the bottom out of the water because the, the real race was for second. Yeah. So the guy got out of the water and he, he was a bit older and uh, and he looked like he was pretty buggered. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, because then within the next 10 minutes, another five guys came through basically. Mm. And I thought, oh, the guy who was in second, he's going to have to fight pretty hard to get to the second place. But he did mm. it. He did really well. Because mm. there were some guys who came out of water who looked fresh. Yeah. And, you know, based on just the energy levels, you thought, oh, the guy who got out of second is kind of in a bit of trouble, but he held on. So it was really good. And then the girls' side, it was really, it was a great race because Alina Asher won by six minutes, but it was kind of pretty, kind of within that five, 10 minute range all day. And so for, for coast to coast, guys out of New Zealand, what happens is you have 3K run, then you have about a 50, 60K bike ride, and then you have a, a basically a marathon run through the mountains, which is completely off road and lots of rock scrambling and stuff. It takes ballpark the same time as a marathon would take and then you have a 15k bike ride and then you have about 50 60k kayak which takes quite a while Uh, and then you have about a 60 70k bike ride to finish off so it's a bloody cool race but if you are looking to do something different you know sometimes i mean get a bit stuck in the ironman world if you are looking to do something different now middle you have to learn to kayak but it's just i love the idea of one island to the next island one day. Mm. The longest day would be pretty a bit of a buzz. Yeah. So probably the really interesting thing, I saw an interview with a guy who won Sam Clark last year. He's a good athlete. I mean, he pushed he got Braden. second last year. He yeah, won this year. He won this year. He got second last year pushing Braden Curry, and that guy is a bloody yeah. fantastic athlete. But then on the news last night, there was an interview with him, and he's going to do Ironman New Zealand yeah. in a few weeks' time, which is going to be really interesting. A, to see what level of fatigue he's carrying into that. We've seen Richard Usher do it in the past. Uh, and he did, okay. did, he did okay, but he didn't do great. Yeah. Um, but it'll be interesting to see, A, how he can swim, and B, how he kind of sacks up against uh, the other dudes in Ironman New Zealand. Does Richard Usher still have the fastest Ironman time for a New Zealander? Yes, I would say he... I'm sure he, I'm pretty positive. smacked it and wrote, didn't Yeah, he? it was like 8.03 or something like that. Yeah. We never had a sub-8 New Zealander. Oh, Cam Brown. No, Cam Brown... Went eight hours flat in Melbourne. Oh, he did too. Yep. Yes. Yeah. So I'll take that back. Curry won it. Still in our New Zealand theme, Braden Curry, who we were just talking about. Now he's a guy who has won the Coast to Coast for the last three years. So he's a multi sporter who's come over the long course or to do a triathlon in the last period of time. Had some pretty good seventy point threes. Spanking some seventy point threes, like world class performances. Great runner. I had the Challenge Wanaka run course record. Yeah. 
until Braden Carey beat me by about 10 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> he is a fantastic athlete. And what he's trying to do is do a bit of a macker and just come in and try to make the Olympics like Macca tried to do so a few years ago. what's within the sport? Is there a bit of a, a, a uh, anti? No. From the I'm, establishment, John? I, I'm not really inside the establishment any longer. Is it a bit um, like the American politics right now where you've got Bernie and, and the Trump against I, the establishment? I think they're just like, you just got to prove yourself. If, uh, we'll, we'll be all in behind. If you can show some results, we'll, we'll come in behind you. You know, the door's open. Um, I wonder, but I'm sure athletes aren't liking that much. Yeah. Guys who want to get to the Olympics are like... Well, they might be liking him a bit more after the weekend because he got fairly spanked. So what did he race? So he raced the IT, uh, the Oceania Triathlon Champs, which is basically New Zealand with a few smatterings of Australians. Uh, sprint distance. Pretty good field or pretty average field? Um, third tier? Yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. third tier. Uh, and he only managed 11th place. It sounded like he had a shocker, he, but he was three and a half minutes off the pace. It sounded like he got a couple of penalties, for um, one for taking his bike off the rack before he had his helmet properly done up, and so another one... Amateur errors? Amateur errors. Another one for doing... Uh, for either coming off in front or behind the mount or dismount line or something like that. So it sounded like he got two penalties, but he was well off the pace. But well, that's only 10 seconds, isn't it? Yeah, so uh, oh, to I don't race. know. Fifteen seconds, maybe, is okay, a penalty. So you lost thirty seconds. Yeah, but Although, just, if you lose the pair, it just sounded like uh, he, he was right there after the swim. Like the dude can seriously swim properly, um, but it sounded like a bit of baptism fire and everything that went wrong could go wrong. So he hasn't started on a very strong foot. So it's going to be really interesting to see um, how he comes back. I've said this in the past. I think he's uh, he's good enough to to potentially make it. But he's just left his run too late in terms what, of what's the process he'd have to go through? He's just got to do lots of races. Yeah, but when, when A, when does it announce the team? B, how many races are there before that time? Yeah, I'm not actually sure, but I'm sure he'll go over to Australia. Um, there'll be Malulaba and races like that. Uh, there's also there's possibly a couple more races in New Zealand as well that he'll do. So he'll just have to start. Land more down, and then uh, the thing with the New Zealand team, nothing's been announced on the guys' side of things because none of them met our automatic criteria last year. So I think it'll be left. I don't know the criteria exactly, but it'll be left until at least the first or second round of the uh, the ITU circuit, which starts beginning in March in Abu Dhabi, and then uh, I think it goes to Gold Coast. So if he can get starts in those races, then um, <coughs> that'll be the real test. What about um, the kid who got like fourth in coast? Uh, no, who won the two day? Sam Wild or someone? Mm-hmm. Someone Wild? Do you know mm. much about him? No, I don't. Because apparently he's a pretty talented triathlete. Yeah, so yeah. No, I don't know much about him, but he, he's off to go and race some Ironman as well. I'm not sure if it's Ironman New Zealand or yeah. it's not Challenge Wanaka. We're going to see if Brady can do it. Brady can do it. It's unfortunate New Zealand triathlons like they're strong right now, eh? Because really, no. in the history of the sport, New Zealand's always had a presence. Mm. And and have we heard anything about Andrew? She's back cranking it. Man, I was uh, riding with her the last couple of weeks, and she is, not that I'm in great shape, but she is, I'm hanging on for her wheel a couple of times. <laughs> so <laughs> she is back racing and... She's not back racing, but she's she's certainly training with some some vigor from from what I've seen over the last couple of weeks. Oh, that's good to hear. Okay, twenty five slots added to is that Coeur d'Alene? Yes, it is Coeur d'Alene. Uh, how do you get Coeur d'Alene out of CDA? It's a French French. When you see the spelling, you'd understand. Okay, it. Um, is it just me, or are you getting annoyed with WC to using Kona slots as a marketing tool when these hardworking athletes who've already planned their seasons are getting screwed? You're stealing my my, my rant there, know, my mate, mini rant. Put, put my John Newsom tone on, okay? Give me your rant. Well, I'm just I'm getting a bit Here frustrated by this because it's so many races now are just getting less and less spots, and it is. Re- 
ridiculously hard to try to qualify because a lot of the age groups um, will only have a couple of slots now. Here's, a, here's an argument. If less race, more races have less slots, do we get a better field in Kona? I don't. Well, my opinion is, and I don't have the stats to back this up, is no. Um, I think... But then the argument is, if we say... It just becomes more of a lottery. No, but like the problem is... Not everyone can afford to travel to all races around the world. Yes. So basically in every region, you've got your top athletes. Now, if there's mm. only 25 slots in each of these races, you're only the winners or the one or two yep. in certain age groups are only going to get the slots, which means the best from that, that category are going to get to Kona. And so whereas other races back in the old day where I got to go to Kona because I was six or seven. Yes, fair enough. You know, so, so actually maybe it's actually means the better athletes get to Kona. I w- yep. I think I would agree with your point there. However, oh, here we it, go. you don't it, agree. No, I do. <laughs> that that even highlights us even even more. So when they're adding twenty five slots to Cord Lane, then you're going to be getting you know the the next rung down of athletes. So uh, WTC are really Why? just using this as a marketing tool. So so they already had their standard allocation of slots, which is say oh they're adding twenty five. Adding twenty five. Oh, okay. So now all of a sudden everybody's planned their seasons, going I'm going to do Lake Placid or I'm going to do whatever, try <laughs> to qualify for Kona. And most people have their seasons set, and they go, "Oh, we're going to chuck some more Ironman Cord Lane because we need to fill that race up." Uh, so the race so, wasn't selling out. No, I've moved the date, and um, and I'm sure this is just straight up marketing tool to try to get some more people on the line. Is this the first we're starting to see American races not sell out straight away? Uh, it's been happening for a little bit now. Yeah, I think they've reached their saturation point. I think people are crapping their pants that, oh, there's no growth in triathlon, and everything's turning to the crap, and. I just think we've reached that sort of plateau where, yeah, we're not seeing growth, but I don't necessarily see where that we're not falling off the cliff and, and things aren't turning to crap. But certainly the growth has stopped and races, a lot of races are not, not selling out now, which I personally don't think is a bad thing. Well, it's a bad thing if races can't afford to keep going. It is. You know, because we need races. Mm-hmm. The, the thing I wonder, Jombo, is you've given me twice in 10 minutes, two <laughs> minutes. That's probably, that's a record team. Let's just take this moment to show, show 5.03 in about <laughs> 20 minutes into the show. Yep, uh, 25 minutes in the show. He's agreed twice in five minutes. Yep. Just take note, team. Um, one thing I will say is, where's the innovation coming? So if we look at what's happened in just events, right, in the last few years. So traditionally, you had half marathons, you had marathons. And in the last period of time, we've had the kind of crazy events like the mud runs, mm-hmm. the Spartan races. <clears throat> We've had the fun small events like the colour runs. And these events have come along and been massive. Now, I'm not quite sure like the mud runs, the Tough mm-hmm. Mudders, if they have a longevity. Yes. Um, but still, they've come in and they've had this big impact. Yep. Where's the innovation in triathlon? Where, you know, where is someone trying to do something that's kind of out of the box, different, that not, not for the top guys to keep race interesting to watch, but actually that would spark the imagination of the everyday people. It's Maybe called, we could do this as a discussion of the week. It's called Sea to Sky Challenge, Bevan. Sea to C2SkyChallenge.com. Exactly. There you go. That's Foolish really, of me. Someone's yeah. already headed the pool. But, but in the Ironman space. Well, um, just, yeah, you know, you know, like, it's it, not even the Ironman, just in triathlon. Mm-hmm. You've well, you got the swim run events coming up now. Uh, they've expanded into into America, where it's those uh, the Otillo sort of crazy stuff, and that... That, that seems to have a, a great level of interest. So Swim's always a problem, but isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But how much can you innovate swim, bike, run? I think, yeah. I, well, think, I, think, way I, I think it's the discussion of the week. We'll do it in a few weeks from okay. now. Because if we, with our conscious effort in this community, John, mm-hmm. 
We could come up with some brilliant answers. Okay. So there you go. Save that for next week. Okay, discussion of week, John. This week's discussion. We received an email from Stuart Menery, who expresses disappointment at 70.3 organisers in Dublin, um, really just with their lack of communication on what's going on with the event this year. So we asked, what are the most important things for race directors to, to get right? Now, for whatever reason, Bevan, I can only open a few of these posts here. It won't open. We had like 17 comments. But anyway. Okay, if you go to imtalk.me. Okay. Um, probably, probably the most common thing that came through was uh, race distances in terms of people wanting to have accurate race distances. And I think that's really important when you're doing, you especially your, your, come up. your key your key races of the season. Um, okay, well, Rob, know, Rob Eplin, he says, course length, mm-hmm. challenge Weymouth race, run course last year was two miles short. Yeah, you do wonder how they get two miles short wrong. Remember, I did, there was a, I think there was more to that story, but yes, um, and by and large, they should get things right. It's consistent. Made my time look much better, though. So come on, yeah. Yeah, not tonight, Rob. You loved it. Richard Swan wants vast amounts of alcohol after the function, not even to walk miles to the massage, food slash drinks. I think he might be taking a dig there at uh, Kona. And add an Ironman, the ability to be weighed to see how much rooted your body to see how rooted your body is. It doesn't actually happen in Kona when when you finish. Um, Tim Ford, yep, course distances and not Diet Coke or Coke Zero at the aid stations. Remember that happened in Ironman UK mm. years ago, probably 10 years ago now. Jeff Curry, simple, value for money and deliver what you promise. Respect your customers. Julian Stockwell, he's a simple man. All he wants is... Just give me a tell. Finish us a tell. Nice. Um, <clears throat> Michael Kennedy, quick story. I've entered... The, uh, I've entered the I mean seventy point three event quick story. <laughs> through the charity. This means full entry fee plus two hundred. Not only does Ironman get the full entry fee, but the charity had to pay for the slots prior to them selling the entries themselves. It disgusts me the way Ironman um, does business. The charity slots uh, charities buy hundred slots at four hundred dollars each. Um, <clears throat> then they basically have to sell them off. So he just thinks Ironman is ripping off those charities. Yeah, but obviously charity think it's a good investment. Mm. <clears throat> Glenn Newbolt, a beer at the finish line. No, I don't want a sports drink after I've finished. That's full of sugar. Give me a nice cold beer to replace the lost vitamins in me. Sean Barnes, I think that's probably the best one. Communication with clarity. Cut out the bullshit and registration, briefings, prize givings, and a good party afterwards. And then lastly, I'll go, how does that one? Paulie. Pavel. Pavel. How's that last name? Chalices. Chances. How do you get that out of that? I don't know. No wonder I can't read. Uh, using a font that can actually print my name instead of... So he's got a little picture. He's, he's, he's racked his bike oh, at, a, at a race. And to their credit, this is on the, on the bike racks. They've got every number um, individually put on there, but they've also got their name. And because he's got a <laughs> Polish name, it's got P-A-W-E and then a question mark instead of actually having his uh, correct spell- pronunciation. It's gold. Someone gave up. Oh, bugger, I always put a question mark in there. I think the computer system gave up. What, what about you, Jumbo? Um, I think what Sean the Porno put there is, from that's what I try to do from a race director's point of view, is it's just that communication. But it's becoming increasingly difficult to get that across because you send out these group emails via your, your MailChimp and things mm. like that, and they don't actually get through. And people go, oh, I haven't got any information. Well, like, oh. But the other thing is, John, I own a business where we communicate a lot through people through email and stuff. Mm-hmm. People don't read emails. Mm-hmm. And then they've come to you and asked a million questions which are all in the email you sent to them yep. two minutes ago. So in some ways, I agree, great communication is really important. But often, it's people's lack of looking at the information mm-hmm. correctly. Like the amount of stupid questions you'll get is purely through lack of just reading stuff. Yep. 
So, so, and as much as you can look at race directors, I wonder how often race directors are getting dissed for something actually they are covering their bases on. Because exactly. I know as a, as, a, as a business, we seriously, the amount of time people come up to me and I go, hey, did you read your email? And they go, oh, no. And I go, well, <laughs> yeah. you know, so it's kind of, I, I totally agree. You need great communication. And, and that's where I think a lot of race organisers and, and stuff, things start to fall down when you have to, and, and I'm guilty of a bit of this myself, is you send out the big emails with all this information and then the sponsors, plugs and stuff, it's like, just send them bullet points. Start yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, it's just a life. Yeah, just. When you go to the pearly gates, <laughs> yeah. your life will be bullet points. Uh, and, and then you go, right, that's what I need to know. Yeah. That's what I try to do. So your, your answer is bullet points. Bullet points. Yeah. John in the bullet points. But then you, you kind of, but then you kind you of screwed because then you've got your sponsors. You've got to look after your sponsors. And without the sponsors, especially in... You know, do like, you do magazine format when you send out your group emails? Oh, a little bit. You've got to do magazine format. Mm. So it needs to be like... You think of columns and stuff mm. like that because if you think about a magazine, they make it the most easy way for people to read information. And if you just do long text, mm. it, just it's hard to read. So do magazine format. It definitely helps. You've got yourself a job. Yeah, I think I'll pass on that one. <laughs> Uh, for me, uh, I, to be honest, it's unfair for me to judge because I haven't raced in so long. I'm doing MotoTip in a few weeks, so maybe mm-hmm. I have a judgment after that. Yeah. Because it's run by the same organised, they're owned by Ironman now, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. So I'll judge Ironman. <laughs> this week, we had an email in from Ross. And he said, hi, Bevan and John. I thought I'd give you the guys a website of the week. Well, I've actually chosen not to use it as website of the week. Did my head in with John? No, I, did my head in too. I bet it's the same reason. Because the reason is, what Ross is saying, it's sportspurist.com. And it's, hey, it looks like a great website if you're willing to put your email in. Yeah. And I was not willing to put my Nor email in without I. looking at the website first. I was trying to click all around and it. And it wouldn't <laughs> So really, he was he was saying he's used this website for for tri clothing etc. And I just thought um, let's share the love in terms of great websites to buy stuff from, get good bargains, and but uh, either whether it's just your country or a global sort of site. So in New Zealand, you know, we've got um, Torpedo Seven, which I used is pretty that, awesome. I used that the other day and got some tires off there, and I was like, man, I got I got Even I, if I had a sponsor at the moment from a bike shop and stuff, and I got things at cost, this is that's got to be very close to cost price yeah and I got one of those really good wet weather jackets basically PVC yeah. you know clear ones I, I bought it it was A it was so cheap I was thinking it was like 50 bucks mm. B got turned up the next morning yeah yeah I didn't mind it too oh man so Torpedo 7 is pretty good but sports purists don't make us sign up first let us look at your website first mm. then we may sign up but. so question that, the topic this week best try shopping websites okay there we go Jumbo, let's do an ad. Sponsor. Challenge. Or, or a sponsor. They don't, they're not an ad. No. They, they sponsor us, John. So, to challenge Wanaka, we talked about that earlier in the show. And it has a rap as being a slow course um, because it's a, it's a tough course. But it's actually not that slow. So I went on to Athlinks and I thought, I'll have a look here. I've got the results from 2014 and sort of scanned down. Alan Bryson was the first Athlinks finisher. And he did uh, 10 hours and 18 minutes. So what I did, I thought, I'll click on Alan, see uh, how he rates up um, at other races. He did 10.18, and then his best time is 10.07 um, at uh, other Ironmans. And you can oh, okay. easily go on here, and you can filter things by Ironman, which is, boom, there. And then it basically says, you've done Ironman New Zealand. He did it in the same year he did Challenge Wanaka, and he was only 10 minutes quicker. Oh, to Alan's credit, 
He did Challenge Monica in 2012, and he did 11.56. So he improved by an hour and 40 minutes in wow. two years. So, Alan, if you're listening to the show... You rock star. Nice work. Uh, I, I furthered my research, Bevan. Oh, Andrew Diplodocus. And Andrew Diplodocus Kerr, I've got something to say about him. Where's he? Scroll down. He finished in 35th place. He did uh, 11 hours and 11 minutes. And I thought, how does that rank up for the old Diplodocus? And he does use his own talk name yeah, on athletics, yeah, which yeah. I absolutely love. So old Diplodocus. Um, Wait, what did he do in Monica? He did 11 hours and 11 So his minutes. PB is a 10.46. So he's about you know 25 minutes off his PB. Yeah, but what I would say is, what was he doing in Challenge Road? Fast, one of the fastest courses in the world, went 12.06. He went too fast in that bike, John. He did. He did. So, so again, another example here. What you can, a lot of time, man. I know. So really, what I'm saying is, is if, whether it be Challenge Wanaka or, or another distance, iron distance race around the world, and you kind of want to f- get a feel of how the times there rank up for athletes that do other races around the world, um, and how you might fear it. Go to athlinks.com, find the race, find the first sort of finishes. Andrew's a good example of using this website because it's got he's, he's obviously just got into the habit of putting his races in, which are really cool. But one thing is his half marathon time, so he's pretty close with the half marathon to the sub 130. Mm-hmm. He's done 130 50s, he's done a 10.50, uh, sorry, 46 Ironman. He's done a 3.41 marathon and a 2.13 Olympic triathlete. Nice work. Let's so check it out, athlinks.com, to help you research your upcoming races. So you know it's race, 130 and a half marathon puts you in the top 11% of all half marathoners. Great. That's pretty, that's interesting, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. That's interesting. That's, well, I do find it interesting, whereas in the marathon, he's done a 341, which is pretty good, but he tops in the top 50%. Mm. So, yeah, you know, just interesting stuff. Just saying. Right, we've got our interview coming up with Grant Schofield now, and it's going to be gold. Here, Here we, we go. go. Okay, guys, um, as you will have heard over the, the many years we've been trying to cover nutrition stuff, I keep trying to uncover different ways of doing things, and um, and today is another one of those. So what I would say before we start today, um, you know, we're going to be talking about low-carb, high-fat. Um, I'd urge you to go back and listen to our interview with Tim Noakes, which was episode 411, um, and also go back and consider listening to Bob Sebahar, which was episode 259, 384, and 476. We've had Bob on three times. Um, but I recently discovered uh, a great book that we're going to be talking about today called What the Fat? by Grant Schofield, um, who's a Kiwi guy, and what's cool about Grant is he's going to understand us a lot more because he's formerly an Ironman athlete um, and a very good one at that. Uh, I think he's got a sub sub nine hour in there, so that's uh, a nice effort. And then also, a nice effort. A nice, not a bad effort, mate. You <laughs> not know, a bad effort. You know, not nice effort. <laughs> and then also, um, more recently, he's just come out with a book that really sort of dovetails in with what the fat. Um, go back one page there, Bevan, called What the Fat. I just bought it. You just bought. It. <laughs> yeah, I just I just bought it. So, um, called What the Fat around around sports performance, and that really applies. Sports to performance, it. leaner, fitter, faster on low carb. Healthy fat. So, Grant, welcome along to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Been, I've been fans for years of you guys. Great, oh, thanks, we love it. Um, what was the motivation for you to actually, you know, in, in your academic career, actually get into um, looking at nutrition on a, on a higher level, and specifically the the low carb, high fat? Was it was it Noakes or somebody inspiring you into this, or what? Sort yeah, of yeah, actually, I'd heard um, Bob on your guys' thing. I'd um, known of Tim for a long time. And when 
I sort of got wind of this. I was like, that can't be right. I've been saying exactly the opposite of this for the last 20 years. Not only that, I've been practicing that in my athletic pursuits. So we had a go, um, you know, it's going back several years now at doing this. And because we've got the equipment in our lab, we started to measure some of the changes that we were seeing in ourselves. And we were flabbergasted, frankly. It was exactly the opposite. of You know, it shows you how close-minded you can be in your work, which is a lesson to all of us, is that you just get these profound changes in your ability to oxidize fat during exercise uh, and a whole bunch of other things to do with inflammation and just feeling better, running your brain on ketones, uh, which flew right in the face of all conventional wisdom about nutrition. Uh, And that's really uncovered a fight ever since because it's turned into that, especially in my major field, which is public health. you know, this whole bad, butter's bad for you, um, saturated fat's going to kill you. You know, once you delve down into the science of that, it's been shoddy for decades. Um, and frankly, it deserves uncovering. And we need to move on as a society. So can you um, maybe just, uh, in the book, you've sort of got the, the skinny on, low-carb, um, high-fat. As you know, we don't want to go into heaps of detail on what it is because we've heard that in other podcasts um, and also it really goes into fantastic um, detail in the book. But sort of give us just the, the bit of the skinny on on what low-carb sort of means and and how it's sort of applicable not just to athletes but to everybody. Well, I think that if you go um, back a step and you do your basic uh, physiology and biochemistry, you go, there's, there's nutrients. You need to be alive. Some, you must get them, some of them from the diet. Uh, you know, first one's protein. You've got to have some. You can't, mm. you, you've got to eat it. Um, and it's probably going to come from animal and plant sources. It would be ideal. Um, and it's for structure and function um, and can be used for energy. Fat's the same. Um, you're going to need it from diet uh, for structure, function, and energy. Um, and the third, carbohydrate, well, it's not required for structure or function. It's just a optional extra for energy. Um, you know, to be sure, it's useful, um, and we'll get into its, you know, its essential usefulness later when you're doing Ironman racing and things. Um, but you know, to there's a basic lacking in logic at, at the most um, fundamental level in modern nutrition and modern sports performance nutrition that we need to have the bulk of our energy come from carbohydrate. That's just simply not the way the body works. We we must have fat. We must have protein. So. Uh, when you start to eat like that, the body just behaves better. It becomes metabolically flexible. In other words, you can burn fat when you want to. You can burn carbs when you want to. Um, but to do that, you really have to think a little bit more carefully about what you eat. Um, and without sounding too sort of paleo, that seems to send people into other objectionable uh modes um, <laughs> you, you, you know like my basic premise is eat food that's low in human interference if, if it resembles food that was recently alive it's probably uh, it's not going to be processed it's probably going to be lower in carbohydrates higher in fat and, and have a reasonable amount of, of protein in it so you know that's that's really the first rule is just go for stuff that was um, one degree of being alive but mm. it's, it's, it's a interesting because you, your kind of advice is different to the paleo because they are really big on the dairy and all that type of yeah. philosophy, aren't they? Yeah, well, I mean, if, the thing is, if you eat dairy and it makes you feel bad, well, don't eat it. Um, but, uh, but I and the others do reasonably well on dairy, and it's a really good source of, of uh, fat um, and protein. It's reasonably good value for money, at least in the country that I live in. So, yeah. 
a lot of people will have heard on the show um, Bob Seabart. You know, he's been on three times talking about his sort of metabolic efficiency model. Yep. Can you maybe contrast what the work that you're doing? Uh, I know there's a lot of a lot of similarities between yep. low carb and I should say healthy fat because that's how you term it, not high fat. Um, yep. Sort of contrast the the two sort of ways of thinking because Bob's method does have, in, at times, um, a bit more carbohydrate con- um, content. Yeah, I think we've converged probably um, over the years, and it depends what you're doing because Bob's all about um, sport performance. Uh, when you go down that track, I think he's, you know, another way of describing his work is carbohydrate-appropriate eating, mm. um, and I agree with that, frankly. Um, we just start in a base for, a, you know, the carbs aren't essential. You don't have to eat them. Um, uh, probably if you want to drive the adaptations that will make you burn more fat, that will make you feel good, then what you're going to need to do is have a period of time of being quite low carb um, and high fat um, because without that sort of metabolic stress of running your brain out of glucose, your body won't make the adaptations it's needs. So we're, we're quite with Bob's idea. We're, I'll be um, with athletes that I work with. We'll be um, going through a more periodized approach, which he does as well, which is at, you know, in, in a season where you're not racing, um, you're just preparing, um, haven't got much on, um, then I'd be advising people to, to really restrict their carbs. Um, their training will have to match that because it'll be mostly longer, easier stuff with some, some small amounts of high intensity. Um, and as it moves more into a racing season, well, you've probably developed an ability to use fat and uh, whatnot, and you can add in carbohydrates either before, during, or after uh, a session. And there's some fine um, details there which we can do later. Um, to suit the demands of that session, if you're if you're doing a threshold type session, if you're cracking out, um, you know, f- for 12 minute intervals um, at a sort of lactate threshold or VT2 type place, then you're going to need some extra carbohydrates. You won't you won't do the business otherwise. And I think that's where we all agree on. So we're not anti carbohydrate. Um, we want to use it, uh, but we know there's consequences for using it. And ultimately saying it's good to do a period at the start to develop your body to get good at not needing it. Yeah, if, if you if – you, it really revolves around the physiology of your brain. If you're not um, – you know, the human brain, if you give it about 120 grams of glucose in a day, then it, it won't be driven to get extra energy to run on fat. Uh, it's only when you d- deplete the brain of that energy source – it goes. You don't die, of course, um, and nor do you turn stupid. You know that would both be bad from an <laughs> evolutionary point of view and, and just general living. Um, but but you do need some real frustration in your metabolism, and that's to use uh, ketones, in particular this beta-hydroxybutyrate, as the primary fuel for your brain. Um, and that 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 stimulus really drives, and you see it in our lab, and you see it in others, drives people to be about twice as good as at oxidizing free fatty acids for fuel. So, so people will typically go from about 0.6 to 0.7 um, grams per kilo per minute uh, of uh, fat oxidation uh, to, you know, one and a half. Um, and that's um, for, for something like Ironman racing, once you do all the mathematics, you know, that's – Ironman is a sport um, and so is marathon running that's limited by your glycogen supply. Mm. Um, you know, we try to – you can either um, – throw down uh, lots of gels or whatever else you can get your hands on and tolerate um, or you can go slower um, or you can get fat adapted, 
get metabolically flexible and do a combination of of um, of using more of your own stored body fat and adding adding carbohydrates as well. We would generally add carbs in races. So that, that sort of leads on to quite a nice point, I think, is, is actually you're talking a bit before about sort of ketosis and stuff and where to start. And I just want to stress to you guys that are listening. Go get this, especially the Kindle book. It's only like, it's like eight bucks, you know. In this six dollars US. It talks. Talk, John talks through the, sort of the process of how to do this. But first one that maybe scares a few people off is that is the, the term ketosis. Um, yeah. So can you maybe explain what that is, how important it is in the process um, yeah. of actually kickstarting things? Yep, you can. You, ketosis is simply the state that I talked about before, where you're primarily using. Uh, Ketones, beta hydroxybutyrate, and uh, and some others as fuels around the body, especially in the brain. Um, it's it's really an interesting state. I think the reality is for every human up until a few generations ago, um, dipping in and out of ketosis was just a natural part of their day. You would you would um, not necessarily have three meals a day. You would uh, be eating a diet that was higher in fat and lower in carbohydrate naturally because there weren't so much processed food and sugar around. So, um, yeah, we'd just dip into the state um, to make sure we had normal brain function across the day. Uh, that's disappeared. And so we've got to just actively eat less processed food and restrict our carbohydrates to drive that metabolism. I think virtually 95% of modern humans really, if ever, get into ketosis. Um, so, yeah, I like, like to see people in that. Um, it's not an essential state. In fact, um, I prefer not to stay in nutritional ketosis, um, but just just dip in and out of it during um, a regular week. What, what are the practicalities around that? You know, so uh, in terms of actually how to because yesterday I just actually tracked my food, so I'm I'm trying to follow a, a pretty low carb diet at the moment, and I um, for the first time and I only did this yesterday was uh, tracked all my eating on the My Fitness. Pal app, which I thought was fantastic, yep. um, and I logged in at 89 grams of carbohydrate, yep. uh, 102 grams of uh, protein. It was telling me I was eating too much fat at 122 grams, <laughs> yep. um, and 19 grams of fiber. So I thought I had a pretty good day to run people through what I ate. Like uh, breakfast, I had almonds with some Greek yogurt and some flaxseed and some berries. Had a handful of um, cashew nuts for for morning tea, and then lunch I had sort of an omelette thing with some courgettes and um, some cheese and mushrooms, etc. Uh, afternoon I don't know that I had. I think I had a couple of apricots, and then uh, and dinner was sort of a, a salady sort of avocado and um, celery and rocket with um, with some chicken. So there was none of those sort of your classic carbohydrates from bread or rice or pasta or anything like that, um, and I was sort of sitting at that, yeah, as I said, 89 grams of carbohydrate, which certainly isn't down at that ketosis levels. But so practically, how do you actually go into ketosis? Have you really just got to eliminate? Well, well, I, th well I think it depends on your um, on your glucose requirements as well. Were you training yesterday? It was only about a 75-minute run. Okay, so you really didn't have too much of a glucose requirement. Um, I mean, I would be ideally for a few weeks trying to push that down around the 50, 60, mm. probably lower. Um, and the easy way to do that is just to... Um, ditch the apricots and, mm. and replace the cashews with something like macadamias or almonds. Those, that'll, that'll get you there. Mm. Uh, and, you know, be sure to add plenty of – I mean, it's a great day's eating, really, mm. John. Um, I'd just be, you know, being sure to add fat wherever possible, you know, grate the cheese on your omelette, yeah. um, the oil to your salads, um, put the butter on whatever else you feel like putting butter on, which is anything. 
So we also had a, a specific question here, and, and you go into how to measure whether you're in and out of ketosis in the actual book, and there's, there's a number of different ways you can do it. We had a question in from Cole Stone. It says, uh, he's, I've switched from low-carb to high-fat at the start of the year, and ketone ch- checks show that I'm in a ketonic state. Um, all good. I've gone through the early glycogen-depleted stages, being exhausted just a mile into running, and the body definitely... Um, definitely is on the up now after i've completed my training sessions my ketones plummet then increase again fairly quickly without eating anything um so my question is is it right that ketones should fall this way in response to training yeah they could do because remember um, ketones are a fuel so they're getting fluxed in and out of uh, cells for for fuel use that's quite possible that's going to happen i don't think it means too much mostly i think it depends on your training um because if you're doing hard training, if you're doing long training and using ketones, they'll typically go up. Mm. Um, you're just oxidizing more free fatty acids and whatnot. Um, if you do really hard training, then the body's driven to produce more glucose um, through the liver, through gluconeogenesis. So you'll see probably as that glucose goes up, the ketones will go down. I mean, both of those things don't really mean anything. Um, I think Cole's doing fine. It's all good. I just think you know, you go through that initial phase that he described, you might get a bit tired, um, you might forget to add extra salt, which is a huge detail for, for triathletes. Um, and I've s- several times had to pick people up from the side of the road at Ironman um, because they, no matter how much you tell them, when you eat a high-carbohydrate diet, your body retains sodium, um, and that's one of the reasons people would advise you to eat less of it for your blood pressure and whatnot. But when you eat a low-carbohydrate diet, the exact opposite happens. You excrete sodium to protect potassium um, and low blood pressure, um, cramps, um, and all the things that affect athletes quite badly, including performance, um, suffer. So it's really a matter of getting a lot of extra salt, um, and people find that quite hard to do, especially because they're eating less processed food, so they're getting less salt that way as well. Mm. So it's, that's just a massive, massive uh, part so of the when you say a lot, what, what, what are you sort of talking uh, about? We're talking about five grams of available sodium, which in the end is a couple of teaspoons across a day um, of, of added salt. When people have, you know, it's again one of these conventional nutrition problems. Um, you've been told for years just to be careful with the salt. Mm. Now we're going, look, you know, not only add it, but add it liberally. Actually, don't eat as much as you can because your body will tell you uh, when. It's had enough. Um, and this goes back to the, the old days. I, I remember um, I remember racing a, a Hawaii Ironman in the, in the mid-90s, and I, I remember sitting in the pro briefing with um, Paul and Yubi Fraser and Mark Allen. I asked both of them what they ate. They told me, which was really based around, you know, Yubi Fraser more of a low-carb, high-fat, and uh, Allen more around methadone zone thing. But again, both carbohydrate-restricted. Um, and... Mark Allen told me as well, he goes, salt's crucial. Um, what I do is I, I take salt tablets during the event, but I, the way I do it is I suck them. Um, and he said, near the start of the bike ride, you'll suck a salt tablet. It'll immediately taste salty and disgusting, spit it out. And he said, by you know 100 miles in, you'll be sucking it for three or four minutes and it'll taste great. And then, then at some point, it'll taste too salty and you chuck it out. He said, your body will tell you. Um, how much salt you need, and so I've, I've used that strategy ever since. Frankly, I think it's a good one. Um, you know, um, eat salt to taste. If it tastes good, keep eating it. Your body's telling you something. 
Um, so if we anything else that we need to sort of cover on ketosis before, before we actually sort of move on to um, you know the practicalities of around training and racing? Um, well, well, I think the the thing is ketosis is an important stimulus to drive that maximum fat oxidation. So you're really trying to drive your body to you know um, to be really a really good fat burner. And I think you need to get down to that nutritional ketosis, that sort of 50 grams or so of carbs a day to do that. The thing is, people feel good um, eventually after an adaptation part, uh, phase that um, Cole well described in his, his little email before. Um, and what people notice is that their brains actually function much better across the day. They're not falling off that glucose cliff every three hours. You don't have to run down to the uh, cafeteria and you know grab something before you hurt someone. Uh, and, and, and the trouble with that is that you end up sort of um, a little bit anti-carbohydrate. You become scared and you go, oh, I don't need those. I felt bad. When in fact, that's not the case, um, which leads into the next phase that I think you want to talk about is that um, we need to add carbohydrates, especially for racing, if we want to maximize our performance because we want to get fuel from all available sources. So, um, okay, we'll, we'll definitely get to that. Yeah. A, a lot of the um, questions we get asked and there seem to be conflicting information out there is about um, doing training in a fasted state, so, you know, getting up and going out training without having any food. Yeah. Um, and some of the stuff that I heard around that was that perhaps that further down the track that actually inhibits your ability to absorb carbohydrate so maybe if we can cover sort of fasting workouts whether that's something athletes should be doing all the time some of the time and 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 what impacts it might, might have on them um yeah i think it's i think they're a good idea um but i think they're a good idea in a periodized fashion i think they're a great idea uh in that sort of preparatory phase i think if you're actually racing iron man um it's still not going to hurt you to do one of those every couple of weeks uh but you need to, you know, I, I think the major problem I see with fasting long bike rides is you go with people who aren't doing that. Um, and, you know, it'd be great if you could put your ego in a brown paper bag, wrap it up and put it on the kitchen bench and walk out the door and go for your bike ride. Um, but for most people that, um, I mean, that you might do that, John. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure Bevan won't. No, there's, the, no, uh, there's no hope. <laughs> the, um, because you end up, getting pushed in long bike rides with other people into fuel utilization zones you don't want to use if you're fasted. So, you know, the idea is to go easy the whole time. Um, um, and when you get to hill, go even easier. Um, and that's just not the way it works out. So, you know, I think they're a hard thing to do. But they typically have to be done by either by yourself or with people who are going to do what you're going to do, and that's, that's a hard thing to do. Um, I wouldn't be... I don't think once you've got the major adaptations, you have to keep doing them. You're not going to if you're if you're burning, you know, one and a half grams of um, fat per kilo per minute when you're fat adapted. You're not going to enhance it anymore. It, you know, it is it, you've maxed it out. You've got those adaptations, and as long as you keep a base of a low carb diet, it's gonna it's gonna stay there. So, so that leads to the question: once you're sort of out of that phase and you are, you know, taking on nutrition, not going out fasted, what sort of things do people who are on this? diet, I know diet's not necessarily the word you want to use, but what sort of things do people have before they go out training and perhaps during training sessions? Because that's a lot well, of the questions I get is, what should yeah. I actually eat if I get when I'm out there training? Yeah, well I think the um, first thing is people go, well I mean I'd just be having, if, if the requirements of the session are such that you're going to be burning um, a good deal of 
of gl- glycogen, then you're going to need to add extra, and that could be before. So um, it doesn't have to be a great deal, but you might be you might be having some um, some extra carbohydrates in that morning meal, and it might be as simple as just adding, you know, having a handful of cashews rather than a handful of almonds. Um, that might do it because it's just a, a long bike ride with a few hills. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be it might be much more than that. You might decide you're going to add, you know, you might do fine on wheat and you might add a couple of pieces of toast with honey on them or you might have a smoothie um, with milk and, and some other, you know, other carbs, bananas and whatnot thrown in. And that's what I will do typically if I race now um, is I'll, I'll just put together a high-carb high smoothie for breakfast um, and if the event's a couple of hours, I won't add anything. If the event goes on for several um, and it's got periods of high glycogen use, I'll be, I'll be um, eating bananas, I'll be eating, um, dare I say it, gels because I find them easy to carry. Um, people seem to think if you, it might be a good idea to eat extra fat while you're in these events, um, and I sort of disagree with that. I just think you've already got a decent fat supply. It's called your body. Um, I don't see any reason to start... Um, inhibiting carbohydrate flow because that's what it'll do, right? You mm. you you eat fatty stuff with glucose. All you're going to do is slow down your ability to absorb carbohydrate. So yeah. And, and then what about post training? Because again, if we keep going back to conventional um, advice, it's like when you get back from training, you know, you want to be uh, hitting hitting things pretty well. <coughs> you want to be getting your protein and obviously your fluids, simple um, carbs. You, simple carbs. <laughs> you want to be replenishing all your, your stocks. How does that change when you're, you know, when you when you are a lot better fat adapted? And is there things advice you've got around that? Well, I think the most interesting stuff on that is uh, Jeff Volick, who's you know really a premier researcher in this field worldwide, um, is his faster study. And you know, uh, this this just tells you a few things. So he's got uh, he he had two groups of ultra endurance athletes, sort of ultra endurance runners and some Ironman athletes. Um, one group which had been uh, low carb, high fat for a number of years, and one group which was more conventional. And these are both groups of uh, of reasonably elite to very elite athletes. Um, he ran them on a uh, well. First of all, though, the the high fat athletes used twice as much fat as fuel at any particular um, training intensity. But then he got them to do a three-hour treadmill run, which sounds relatively oh, awful. I have done <laughs> uh, that, and it is yeah. awful. <laughs> uh, but not only that, what he did, um, Bevan, is he um, he biopsied. You know, he he took muscle samples, oh, wow. pieces of their muscles out of their quad before yeah. he did the um, run, while they were running, and then uh, post-run, uh, and and he can tell how much glycogen was in the muscle. Um, first of all, both um, groups had about similar amounts of glycogen in their muscle. Um, prior to the uh, treadmill run, and that was despite the high carb ones having a uh, a pre a pre event um, carb drink. Um, they depleted their glycogen about the same during the the uh, the treadmill run, and interestingly, despite the high carb group having a high carb shake after the um, event, they both replenish their glycogen a couple of hours later, about the same. And what seems to be happening, this is pretty complex at this point, is that the genes that help you resynthesize the glycogen get upregulated in the fat adapted athlete. In other words, um, you become better at scavenging and restoring glycogen from other sources than just getting it through the diet. So for, if you're a fat adapted athlete, you don't need 
too um, crazy about those post-event carbs to replenish it because your body is now in a state where it'll do it from other sources, which is really cool stuff, really. And so you're saying basically post-run, you're just going back to a, a pretty traditional low-carb, yeah. yeah. high-fat diet? Yeah, um, although I'd preface that we have had athletes that you know just titrate a little bit more back in, and it might only be a small amount, 10, 20 grams, and that helps. they seem to say that it helps their post-recovery and other training. And it also depends when your next demanding session is. You know, if you've just done a hard session, you had enough glycogen to run it because you took some beforehand, um, and you're not doing another one for a couple of days, which is ideally what you do, right? I mean, I don't think anyone suggests that you should be doing hard session, hard session, hard session. Then I think you'd be fine. Where it comes interesting now, and this is uh, perhaps not what I was expecting out of your book, is when it comes to the, the racing side of things, because you know the thought process for me was right. You go low um, low carb, high fat. And then when you go to, to racing, then your 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 need for um, masses of carbohydrates is uh, is a lot less. Yeah. We, had, we had a guy on the show last week who who follows has done a lot of metabolic efficiency testing, and he was saying you know in a race he's slamming down as much as he possibly can in terms. Yeah. Of, I think it was well, not sure if it was gels or, or drinks what he was doing, and really what you've been saying a number of examples in the book um, is that the athletes that you've worked with it, they they do still try to get pretty much as, as much carbohydrate into them when they're racing despite not training that way, which seemed, um, counterintuitive. seemed counterintuitive to yeah. me. No, I think it's – yeah, I, I agree. Initially, that's the sort of first pass and, and the sort of people who have been in the field of low-carb, high-fat have been saying, we well, don't need them, don't use them. But uh, my view is, first of all, and also if you'd put people on, you know, do metabolic um, testing, you know, with, on, with VO2 on them and try and understand how much fat and carbs they're burning, what you see is when people start to ingest carbs, their fat oxidation goes down, um, except for we don't see that on fat-adapted athletes. Mm. So if you get fat-adapted, um, you you're going about Ironman pace. So I reckon Ironman pace is about ideally, you know, just from hang on, this needs a bit of prefacing. You, ideally in Ironman, you want to be going along at a fairly constant speed all day um, and you run out of glycogen. Um, you know, the moment you step over the finish line, you've got nothing left. Mm -hmm. um, that would be ideal. Of course, in reality, when you stand on the sideline in Ironman or you're in it yourself, everyone goes racing past you for the you know first half of the race, chewing up glucose hand over fist. Um, by 160 kilometers into the bike, 80% of the field's bonked and gone. Um, and I'd say by 10 kilometers into the run, you're looking at 95% of the field's completely out of out of glucose, um, and virtually no one makes it to the end in that perfect scenario. Um, so, so in other words, um, and, and you see their pace suffer. So people can seem to run, you know, a good first 10Ks in their marathon. And it's not that they, um, their muscles physically break down or they have a fatigue um, of that sort. They just don't have enough glucose supply to maintain that pace. So glucose is king. Um, and, and I've worked it out in some spreadsheets and I've put some of those data into um, that I've done with actual athletes into that second book, the sports performance one that you really want to get as much carbohydrate as possible. That just allows you to race faster. Mm -hmm. um, and it won't affect your, your um, ability to, to draw energy from fat at Ironman pace. So, um, yeah, we've, we've worked it out for a couple of our athletes and it almost works out exactly perfectly. Um, you know, they've got a limited amount of glucose in their liver. They've got some more in their muscles. We've worked out what they can take on board. 
we know their fuel mix from our lab testing, and we say, look, you know, just ride your bike at uh, 300 watts. Um, that's about 50-50 fuel mix, and um, after nine hours, you'll you'll have completely exhausted your glucose, and you'll just be crossing the line. And that's pretty much exactly what happens. Give yeah. give or take. Yeah. <laughs> you, you talk about <clears throat> the intensity of an Ironman. What about when you are doing shorter races and you are pushing that higher intensity? What changes there? Yeah. Um, so so of course, this is the whole idea of metabolic flexibility. Is that the um, faster you go, the more you draw on carbohydrate as an energy source. It's, it oxidizes um, well and gives you plenty of energy. Um, and fat oxidation typically tapers off as you start to go faster and faster and faster. Um, what we do see, though, um, and what's emerging now is that the fat-adapted athlete, um, you know, fat keeps giving even at higher intensities. You start to use more carbs, but um, fat's an advantage as well. As an example, a um, friend of mine, Paul Larson, who's... Uh, who's Winner, Paul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he just published a study a few months ago showing... Uh, this is a really cool study. So they had some um, elite and non-elite runners. So, so the elite runners were pretty good. Um, they told them to run six four-minute intervals um, with two minutes rest, give your best across those um, 24 minutes of running, um, and the same for a set of elite runners. And it's really interesting what you see is that you see, obviously, the elite runners can manage about 3Ks an hour faster on average, so they're just faster runners. Mm-hmm. Um but it hurt about the same for both groups. They oxidized about the same amount of carbohydrate. Um, the entire difference in running speed was um, was through extra fat oxidation. So, um, you know, I think that's something that we've overlooked, the fat oxidation and that elite runners. They, I think they just trained that through a lot of long training. My belief is that they could, we could demonstrate that um, more easily and with less pain for those runners by just changing their diet a, bit, diet a bit as well. So ultimately you get the advantage of two fuel sources if you do this well. Absolutely. Um, and that's what we want. That's what's called metabolic flexibility and I think um, Bob calls it metabolic efficiency. Um, mm. And that's to the same thing. It's being efficient with a mix of fuels. Um, and we've, uh, I just think it's a, a tragedy um, if you go to any Ironman race and you watch um, first of all, you know, if, w- without being negative to any triathletes, you know, I've, I've been one my whole life and most of my friends are, um, a third of the field is still overweight or obese. You know, my God, um, this is a group of people that are highly dedicated, that train, watch what they eat and are quite careful, yet a third of them have, after all of that preparation all summer, can't get in shape. Mm. Um, and, you know, their big day out, for 90, high 90 something, 95% of people, their big day out is no fun at all. Mm. Because it starts fun, um, and the limiting factor glycogen kicks in, and they have no ability to access the other fuel source, fat, very well, which they need to rely on. Um, and I think, the, you know, your quality of life as an Ironman uh, athlete just goes up hugely if you get fat adapted, because the big day out is a good fun big day out, um, and yeah. What What are some of the the problems you see? You know. You know, with this philosophy or this way of living, what are some of the problems you're seeing with athletes actually adapting to creating it, that something they can actually maintain in the long term? Well, yeah, that's a um, really good question. And I think, you know, society doesn't run on low-carb, high-fat. No. Um, it runs on exact opposite. So, you know, handling social situations, um, not being the dick at the party. Uh, <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, we've all been there before. <laughs> yeah, we've, yeah we've, we've been there. Um and, you know, especially if you've got a family, that sort of thing, people who don't quite uh, get this, it can be difficult. 
Um, yeah, that's that's really the major problem, and of course cost because um, Coke, bread, you know, all the high carby uh, chips and stuff. That you know, that they're, they're really cheap, um, and you know, to buy full fat Greek yogurt, cream, cheese, um, good meat, that sort of stuff is is more expensive. So those are the I think those are the major barriers. You know, but it's not it's it's no different than going, you know, you know what I'm not going to eat crap food. I need to eat unprocessed food. You, you, yeah, there's barriers. You're going to have to do something different. A mm. um, couple of random questions. So one from Pedro Acker. Um, he actually said, what actually constitutes um, LCHF? Um, he says, Tim Noakes suggests around 150 grams of carbohydrates per day for athletes. Now, we've talked through that initial phase, yeah. and that's not accurate for that. Yeah. But what's, what sort of do you find is the, the, the sort of the, the range of um, grams of carbohydrate you can sort of have per day to s- stay sort of within the zone? Um, I think you could probably go up to about 120 yeah. um, or so um, for me yeah. is what we'd notice with our athletes um, once you're fat adapted uh, and as long as you're training. I'm really keen for you to share a, um, a little bit of the research that you've you've got in the book because we had a, again we had a question from Pavel Chalisis and he's um, Pavel's a very he's, he's a vegan athlete and he's yeah. he's right into this um, into into his vegan side of things. And yeah. he, his really questions were yeah kind of get the the, the low carb high fat but is it are actually people going any quicker um, or is it more of a weight loss type thing and yeah. maybe, maybe talk through that study that they did down in Dunedin and the results yeah. they saw from that because I thought that was probably a really good example okay well well um this is sort of two parts to that and i think the the first part um is are people going any quicker well well probably um and i think it depends on the event so a really interesting study was done in dunedin actually um you know over a decade ago by um a guy called dave rollins and um will hopkins and they ended up. I mean, this is. I talked to um, Nick Gillen there in the All Blacks uh, strength and conditioning coach, and he said he was actually a subject in the study. He said it was unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so you, as an athlete, and there was only a small group of them, you, you you did four different types of diet for a couple of weeks at a time. At the end of those those two weeks, you ended up basically going to the lab the whole day, um, and you, I think you did a, a warm up, then you did a fifteen k time trial, then you had a bit of a uh, no, you didn't do anything. Then you went straight into a hundred-kilometer time trial. Um, yeah, probably <laughs> John would. Well, John, John, John's probably like, "Oh, yeah, how do I get him wrong?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but the the four diets they randomized to were this what they were conventionally eating um, a, a very strict, low-fat, high-carbohydrate diet of sort of conventional triathlon wisdom, a, um, a low-carb, high-fat. Um, and a low-carb, high-fat with carbohydrate loading um, and carbohydrates uh, during the event. And what's, what's really interesting is there was really no difference in the, in the harder 15K time trial performance, but once it got to the 100K time trial, things in the last 30Ks of that time trial diverged uh, massively. So basically, the um, athlete, when you're on the low-fat, the high-carb, basically people bonked, um, even though they... We're allowed to take carbs during the event. Um, in the low carb, high fat, without carb loading, they did a right. They did about they, their power output was about twelve to fifteen watts better. Um, but the um, low carb, high fat with carb loading, um, they did about an extra twenty five watts of power output. I think, which you know is significant, especially in that last 
um, 30k of an event. So um, that was really interesting stuff. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I think probably yes, the evidence was sitting there, and no one's really dragged that up. Is that that adding extra carbs? The only trouble with that study, of course, is it was, it was pretty short term. Mm. You know, I'd much prefer to see people on a low carb diet for several months before they. Um, went into their major event. Hey, the other the other thing that I just wanted to add on that is um, Pablo's question there. You know, do people go faster? Well, even if they don't, I think the major advantage to me is still um, we haven't talked about this oxidative stress and inflammation, um, and it goes back to the days um, in New Zealand back in the eighties. We were sort of running out of, of um, petrol, so they decided that they might introduce natural gas as a as a way to run your car. Um, and, and I like to think about that analogy between the petrol engine and the and the natural gas running car engine as the difference between running on fat and carbs because it really tells you a lot about what happens to the body. Um, you know, fair enough. Carbs like petrol um, provides a lot of upper end energy. It just oxidizes in a dirty way. So when you run your um, engine on petrol, it creates some sort of uh, hydrocarbons and damages the engine. When you run your body on glucose, then it creates reactive oxygen species, um, which would be mopping up because they damage the body and cause inflammation. Um, when you run your body on fat or your car on natural gas, then it burns very cleanly. Um, just water and carbon dioxide is, is uh, byproducts. It doesn't create that reactive oxygen stress. You can run uh, a car on natural gas for hundreds of thousands of miles and it, it'll be fine, um, but it lacks the performance at the upper end. You put your foot down in a car on natural gas, you, you're not going to accelerate um, anywhere fast, and the same goes for the body. So I think when you run your body on fat and you do your fuels on, uh, fuel your sessions on fat, um, then I think the major advantage is you don't get that uh, muscle breakdown, you don't get that um, soreness, you don't get the inflammation. Um, and remember, fitness is all about um, recovery. So fitness is about... Uh, stressing the body and then having it be able to bounce back more quickly, and you can do. My my belief is you can do that better um, if you've got more fat in the mix um, because you create less damage to start with. And with it, you know, you may not go faster because you haven't trained your body faster. But ideally, what you're saying is that I have more energy to sustain that speed for longer. Yeah, totally. And and, and you're not getting run down. An example, I, you know, I once got overtrained in a situation in the late 90s where you know I went to a race in Hawaii carried on to Canada and then went to the world long course champs in uh, Sweden um, and I raced an Ironman some sort of six weeks before that so it was all just stupid stuff but I um, you know ended up with inflamed lymph nodes that persisted I think for, for more than a decade you know these are lymph nodes the size of peanuts I went and had every possible medical investigation uh, and when we switched to when I switched to um, low carb, high fat, probably five years ago, those lymph nodes went down to normal size in about a week. Wow. Uh, that inflammation completely dissipated. Uh, and, you know, the, I think other people, I've heard you know, dozens of other stories of a similar sort. A um, couple of other random questions. Um, when, you're, when you're sort of going through this early phase, you know, it's gonna, it is going to be pretty hard on your body, especially if you're a, um, you're a carb machine. What, what what do people do? Should you do when you bonk in that in these situations? Um, you know, it's the, the, your, your brain tells you, right, go back to sugar and, and go go nuts on that. But yeah. in general, what what what's your sort of advice around bonking? Um, yeah, it's going to hurt. 
Mm. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, you, you, you're just going to have to go. You know, so some some people will find this transition quite easy and painless. They already could burn a bit of fat anyway, and they weren't absolute carboholics. They won't have those symptoms that you're talking about. But other people, and I, I've been through this myself, and I've seen it dozens of times. Is that, as you say, you'll bonk, you'll be out training, you'll have nothing left. You'll, you'll think, oh, I should just go down and, and try and make this right with a couple of cokes or something. You know, you've got to pick your times. You're going to go. You're going to get home slowly by yourself, and it's going to hurt. Um, but probably that stress will drive the adaptations faster. So you know, don't do this when you want to actually keep up with anyone. Mm. So the the secret is just suck it up and 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 don't go crazy in terms of picking out and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, this is a classic uh, sort of Auckland Python club people you know it's like oh, i've got world champs came up in six weeks should i get can, can you tell me what to do and the answer is no <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no what no. about what about the people you know like uh like myself weight is never an issue and if anything sometimes i want to put weight on when you're doing the that lchf kind of diet what if you want to gain weight well i mean you can, yeah Just, i mean and it's, it's a really good weight loss strategy because first of all you'll 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 initially lose some glycogen so you'll feel leaner um, you'll have your hunger under control, um, and so typically the people who are overweight have trouble controlling their eating, and I think mm. it's, it's to do with insulin resistance and sugar and stuff. Um, you want to gain weight? Well, you need to add more fat um, because, it, you know, contrary to popular opinion, it's still possible to put on weight on a low carb, high fat diet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just you know, it doesn't, you still can't just go out of control, can you? No, you can't. I mean, yeah, there's, you know, everyone's no such thing as a free lunch, but it's true here as well. At some point, you have to stop eating. It's just, yeah. Some um, people struggle with that nowadays. Yeah, yeah, but it's just, it's much, much, much less likely you're going to carry out eating um, fat um, when you've had enough because the, the mechanisms around leptin and insulin work so much better. So the signaling works better. Um, so so your, your brain will get the message. The um, question we often get asked um, is around recipes and stuff, and what I'd say to that is, guys, in the in the book What the Fat, um, so not the sport performance one, but the, the actual book What the Fat, they've got a a, a, um, a chef in there who goes through you know a load of recipes, so that sort of helps you helps you down that path. Um, I could probably ask you about a gazillion other questions, but I think I've covered most of the things. I guess probably just yeah, walk, maybe just walk people through. Um, Maybe how they're going to feel early on, and I think we've probably covered some of the key challenges. But just maybe a couple of other anecdotes from from people who you've you've seen come from, say, that high carbohydrate state, and and maybe just their stories of how they've actually got through it and how long it's taken them to actually get to a state where they're actually uh, not flipping out when they don't um, eat a piece of bread every fifteen minutes. Yeah, I think uh, if you go pretty strict, then we'll see those adaptations and within. Uh, a week and a half to two weeks for for virtually every athlete, um, with probably only a couple of days um, where you know their general cognizance goes really badly. So you know you can get to you know I've had I think going look I'm really having trouble spelling win, uh, and I, <laughs> <laughs> um, I was like okay you know what do you do? He goes I'm a lawyer. I'm okay well you know maybe that's not that good. Um, <laughs> uh, so so you can have quite severe cognitive impacts for a couple of days. Um, although in saying that, not everyone gets that. Um, within a couple of weeks, so everything's um, fine and dandy. You're oxidizing fat much better. The adaptations, though, 
continue for at least six weeks quite seriously, but you've got all the, you're not going to bonk after two weeks. Mm. Um, so it's really a six week phase to get everything done. And I think probably there's a longer term phase over several months that we don't fully understand um, where um, things like high end performance, uh, sprinting and stuff bounces back. Because I think people initially notice that their um, work in that sort of just above threshold range, um, you know, hard hill climbing, those sorts of things, um, is probably compromised. Um, but I think those come back probably over a period of months rather than weeks. So there's an initial initial bad stuff. Um, the initial bad stuff is, as I just reiterate, because I'll say this, I keep saying this to people and um, people continue not to do it, um, you know, salt is king here. Um, the body will be excreting sodium to protect potassium. Um, if, you're, if your salt's low, um, then a whole lot of things will go wrong, both in, in terms of your athletic performance and how bad you feel, um, including your blood pressure and dizziness. Uh, and people, I see a lot of people get stuck in that zone, going, oh, it didn't really work for me, I felt shit, you know, I was dizzy. Um, um, and or they'll forget to count their carbs in that initial phase. You know, my fitness pal, I think you talked about, it's a great mm. counter. Um, if you don't understand where your carbs are coming from, then you can't control them. Mm. And, you know, I, you don't have to type in my fitness pal every day of your life, but you probably do need to do it for the first few weeks to figure out where carbs are in food. And I guess probably the one take home for me um, on the, the racing side of things is you don't have all the answers yet. It's, it's very, very much comes down to sort of personal um Preference, you know, you have, you've got the example of Bevan McKinnon in the yep. um, the book who was slamming down sort of 20, 20 gels in a race. Yep. I know that there's another guy who you may have heard on the show before, Hal, Hal Tao. He yep. recently did the Israel Man, and I think he was do, was doing it on just you know handfuls of cashew nuts and things like that. So I yep. guess on the racing side of things, is the message get fat adapted and then just play around and, and, and it's still you just got to kind of figure it out. Yeah, and, and I still think that's a good message for life in general. This, you know, there's a lot of talking about this. You know, be your own experiment. Um, I'm really big on that. Mm. Um, well, you, know, you can do every study you want, and the average will be this, but you're not the average. You know, like we, um, so, you know, we know with all diets, some people, some people lose weight, some people don't lose weight, and some people unfortunately get fatter. And that that's true of every way of eating um so you know it doesn't matter what the average is to you you it's what happens to you so you know, um and i think triathletes are already good at this you know use training peaks get on uh you're trying to know your heart rate know your watts and see what changes because they won't lie yeah, just you know there's a lot of information in this interview uh i'm thinking your book's probably a good place because if i'm listening to this thinking this is something i want to try we probably want a systematic approach to actually making it work just your book would you have the answers to that yeah, yeah, well, I think um, yeah, I've done two now, basically on the sense that one was, you know, more broadly about how to eat low carb, yeah, uh, uh, and, and do that on a day to day basis. That's the first book, What the Fat, um, and then because we're sort of so into sport performance and high performance in general, um, and there's so many more questions about that, especially racing, especially for endurance, than What the Fat, sport performance. Um, you know, really has a, a lot more detail about that. So, yeah, this isn't, uh, you know, I had a couple of athletes in my, um, one of my classes at the university last year and they're like, oh, yeah, I tried that for a week and it never worked and it's just all bullshit. And you're like, um, you know, that's a bit like, I don't know, you just you wouldn't do that. Yeah. You wouldn't do that in the rest of your life. If, if you're going to try something big that could have some potential benefits, you'd want to investigate it carefully and, uh, make sure you did the ins and outs right. 
So um, we'll have links to both those books um, on our website, but you can get them both through um, Amazon. And so the second book is a Kindle book. Uh, in terms of any, any other places, people should go either to follow stuff that you do or, or recommended areas where people should listen to in terms of people you trust. Is there any other recommendations um, you have? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I have a blog, profgrant.com, where I will write stuff. Um, I mean, the, the, just remember that the two leaders, real worldwide leaders in this field are um, Jeff Volek, V-O-L-E-K, um, and he'll publish stuff from time to time. Um, Tim Noakes, obviously. Um, although Tim's obviously tied up and he, he's he's on trial at the moment for telling people to eat low carb. So, <laughs> Is he really? So yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it's just a sort of they're trying to get him um, struck off the being a doctor. And um, wow. yeah, it's, it's been front page of South African news for about the last three months. So um, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just the powers that be. Uh, wow. uh, anyway, <clears throat> so so those, those are the two gurus. Um, yeah, stay tuned to I Am Talk, of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you got all the answers. You're a wise man. Well, you're going to become my informal tutor. It might be like a monthly catch-up. And, uh, and so well, then I've got some well, artillery every week for my lectures. Well, John, I think it's really important if you're going to do um, some nutrition training, you're going to get conventional wisdom. Someone, you know, people go, oh, well, I'm not going to bother because I know they're going to teach me rubbish. It's great if someone goes in there and pushes back against that mm. because we've been teaching rubbish for too long. It's not good enough. Mm. Awesome. Now we definitely would like to have you back on the show. And um, and guys, if you are out there trying this, you know that's we can maybe get Grant back on to sort of go through some Q and A. And um, yeah, I just think it's a, it's a subject we should all be looking into. And um, yeah, thanks so much for your time, Grant. Yeah, have, you got, have you got any racing coming up? Uh, no, I've sort of ended up being too tired. I, I I had got quite fit. I got up to a sort of you know, running for a few hours and was feeling great. I was going to go and do this coastal challenge this weekend and I hadn't realised how much entry fees had gone up in the last... <laughs> <laughs> Times have changed. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so my, you know, last real serious racing in the um, early 2000s, you know, I sort of think things had doubled or tripled in price. So I'm just trying to... I need to get my head around that. Come down the Sea to Sky Challenge in Christchurch. There you go, John's race. And it's $69 to enter. I don't know if you've been to Christchurch before, but it's a hilly bike ride. It's a coastal run. It's going to be epic. Grant, I've got one random question for you. I know John wants to go for a bike ride, so he's probably thinking how to wrap it up. But what about the obsession with food problem? You know, like um, with people, you know, because... We are living in this world nowadays where the actual obsession with food is a big problem, and yeah. and if we think of depression and stuff like that, yeah. what's your thoughts on that? Because you know we are kind of saying look at your diet a lot now. What you know because yeah. a lot of people are now putting their esteem based on what they're eating. Yeah, and you get a lot of different beliefs around food as well. And, yeah, you know, there's I'm cult-like like, thinking. Yeah, you know I want to be vegan. I want to be vegetarian. I want to be paleo. I want to be low carb, um, high fat. I want to. I do this. You can be defined by what you eat. Yeah, um, which is a bit of. A, yeah, it does become a bit of a um, cult. I still say though that we've, you know, society just went way too far the other way. Where, you know, we we just manufacture food in big factories and think that that won't affect our health, which was absolute nonsense. So, yeah, there's there's obviously a balance between there. I don't, I'm not sure where it is. Yeah. Um, mm. Okay. Mm, awesome. Thanks so much for your time, Grant. Yep. Have a good day, guys. You're awesome, mate. Thank you very much. We've we've pre-recorded this before the interview so we don't really can't really talk about it right now but other than John's using his app
Yeah, fantastic. Changing your life. Just got to get those carbs down. Yeah, yeah get your carbs down. Carbs are death. They are the death. They're the death, death of me. The death of you. Okay, Jonbo, let's talk about a sponsor. Extreme Endurance. Oh, your lactic buffer, John. Your lactic buffer, indeed. And if you're stuff, well, as you will, have, well, you may have heard in that interview. You know, your omega, all your omegas, omega threes, etc. You know, really important part of your diet. You can get those through Extreme Endurance X Endurance Omega um, anti-inflammatory. Many people don't realise that most of our debilitating diseases, hopefully you guys have got none of those, can be traced to inflammatory causes. Inflammation is what causes the pain of arthritis, which a lot of athletes do suffer from in triathlon. How long do you reckon it'll be before you get it? Arthritis? <laughs> I'm not getting it. Come on, the way we use our bodies. Oh, no, I'm a highly... No, we're a tear at all. The discomfort of allergies or wheezing of asthma um, and the stiffness of overusing your muscles. Inflammation also underlies the most devastating and catastrophic of all diseases, heart disease, Alzheimer's disease, and many other forms of cancer. So if you're somebody who wants to get those Amigas, check it out, xendurance.com. Uh, 22 bucks if you get it on recurring, 24 bucks 95 if you just buy the standard stuff and get yourself nice and healthy, get that brain functioning, working so you can concentrate at work and concentrate while you're out racing. So check it out, um, all of that stuff along with your standard extreme endurance at xendurance.com. Xendurance team, get it in you. And it's a good idea when you are doing the Xendurance with the Amigos, it's kind of just tip products on top of each other, so when you do your mm. shipping, you kind of do a big supply, you get all your shipping, and then you're kind of covered for the next period of time. So there you go, xendurance.com. Okay, Jumbo, uh, we my little show notes here. Let's have a look Quick, here. my first try. Kevin Hunt, who's from Christchurch. I don't know if you know Kevin or not, Bevan. It was, uh, it was a short sprint type about? event put on by the local council. It was about 28 years ago. So Kevin's probably been doing triathlon even longer than oh, me. So the council used to put events on. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that is a long time ago then. Kevin was so worried that he said to his staff, probably not going to be on Monday as I might need a day off work to recover as it turns out he was fine had a good time and went on to work back to work on Monday 28 years later he's still doing it and I'm going to say that when you do your first triathlon back in the day it's different now but I remember looking at the entry form of these first races I did I was just like how the hell am I going to actually do this? Yeah. And I was thinking, I looked at the, when you went back then, you know, it was all paper entry forms and stuff like that. I was looking at the entry form for sprint distance going, oh, that's a long way to bike and run. I was thinking the swim, that's fine. You know, I swim 5Ks twice a day when I was a kid. Uh, looking at that, and then I saw the Olympic distance one. I was like, how the, mad. how the hell do you bike 40 kilometres? Granted, I was only sort of 13 or 14 at the time. And run 10 kilometers so uh but that's the thing isn't it is that like we forget how most people still think that mm. you know what i mean like we forget that like you know my 5k running group and you see them they come along and running 5ks is just an, not a possibility at all for them you mm. know and like 5ks is a, is a warm-up for us you mm. know but it's yeah so it's kind of you don't appreciate how hard people see the thing that we find so easy. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. So if you've got any funny stories or anything like that, especially about your first triathlon, go on to imtalk.me. We've got a little link on there. Uh, and tell us about your first triathlon experience. Oh, well, you've got gossip written there. Well, just how you, I, want, I didn't want to finish the show on our gossip because the end of our show is going to be a bit of a struggle. Um, so any gossip, Bevan, what's been going on? Let's do sponsors first. Athlinks.com. Social, uh, social networking for endurance athletes. And extreme endurance. Yeah, like, we haven't actually mentioned any patrons then, but if you want to be a patron, go to www.imtalk.me and uh, yeah, 
John Ben Michael's my body's playing up a little bit close oh, to the race. Bevan. I did a 34k run the other day. Felt good. Had a good run. But I was pretty thirsty. I did it on Friday. I was pretty hot. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was getting pretty thirsty. And I knew the Harry Old Tap. You know the Harry Old Tap? <laughs> You're talking about thirsty. I'm thirsty now. Yeah. Yep. The Harry Old Tap. There's a tap basically. Harry Old runs close to my home. And on the way home from my run, I was coming down Harry Old. And I knew the tap was coming. I was pretty excited about the tap. They ran out of water. No, no. The water was there. And <laughs> I, I, I did the old. Here's what I was doing. I did the old. Put the old diddle down the side. Sneaky pee while I was having a drink. Oh, gross. <laughs> Well, no, yeah, I'm right by the water fountain. There's water all over the place. Oh. I would have known. So I was drinking and peeing at the same time. I was functional, oh. not wasting any time. So I did that. But then when I came out of the run, I must have just tweaked my knee a little bit just as I was turning mm. to go because I was pretty tired by that point. So my knee's been a little bit funny over the last few days. And then I pulled my back last night. So I've got to go to the chiropractor today. <laughs> Don't tell us about what you've been doing last night. Oh, Joe was loving it. Man. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was it. What do you think? Um, so a little bit apprehensive about my race now. I'm, I've done. I would have liked to have done a 36k run this weekend, but I'm thinking I probably won't get that done now. Um, but I, I've still got two or three weeks, so I should. So be how fine. far is your run? It's a marathon. It's a marathon, but it's not a. Stri- it's off road. Off road, not crazy slow marathon. Like is it? So, be- so you're looking at the winning times, mm-hmm. and you know Chris Darnell. No, he's a I good, made it. I don't good local so. runner. Uh, he's won it, and I think Chris Darnell is like a. Probably a little bit quicker than you. Mm. Maybe at similar speed to you, a little bit quicker to you. 235, 230. Yeah, similar to that. It's 240 ish. Um, he. <clears throat> 240 would be slower than me. Well, what's That's your fastest? Two, 238. <laughs> so, if we, can we do with the rounding up or down? <laughs> <laughs> I love it how you pull out 235. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm a, I'm a nine hour athlete. <laughs> so, <laughs> you got you, you got the showing up there. But, but anyway. <laughs> He did, he won it in about three hours. Right. So I'm thinking, I think I'm probably right now at about 250 pace for, mm-hmm. for on, on like a Christchurch course. Um, so I'm thinking I'll probably do somewhere, if I have a good day, maybe 310-ish, 315, bad day up to 330. So somewhere around that, I'll be pretty happy with. But if my body can hold up, because I've got to go to London next week, I can't afford to be injured. Right. So, you know, like it's, uh, yeah. So that, John, but another funny thing happened to me, or what? That's not the kind of race you can pull out of though. Like I I had, no, yeah, a, I was a real softy in Auckland, oh, yeah. but, yeah. I was but anyway, day, but I was, when you when you run past your hotel, it's like, oh. but in that one, it's point to point, and there's, there's no pull out. You got to get to the finish some way. They must have ways to get you pull out. I don't have the tail end. You'll be out there for a long time. You got to wait for the tail end vehicle. Yeah, I, I should be okay. Both injuries, like the chiropractor will just clip me back, and I'll be fine. My knee should be fine as long as I'm not stupid. I'm pretty much not going to run this week. Mm-hmm. But um, when is it? In three weeks. Oh, okay. With three set days from now, so yeah. yeah. Um, I just think running will be doing more damage than good right now. Mm. The other thing that happened to me the other day, John, was John, you know, one thing you don't do much as a man, you don't bang yourself in the area. You know, when you're a boy, you often bang yourself in that area of the body that boys don't want to be banged in much. Yeah, it doesn't happen often as a man, does it? Uh, it happens a bit more when you got kids. Oh, really? Because they actually just yeah. give you the punch, yeah, or the yeah, the head in there, the, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well. I was teaching a class the other day, and they brought out this new move in one of the programs where you're basically doing a squat jump, mm-hmm. but they get you to hold a weight between your legs, mm. and, I was, and, and it's meant to be an explosive jump, so I jumped up, and boom, oh, <laughs> I no. myself. I so didn't want my class to know that I'd done it, because yeah. it was pretty embarrassing, but I was in a lot of pain, <laughs> and, and the grimace, luckily I was doing a workout where you're meant to be grimacing, because... Yeah. <laughs> it was not flash so there you go team don't do squat jumps with, especially with kettlebells it's no. a dangerous game Jonbo okay. what's your guys? 10 year wedding anniversary 10 Ooh, years uh, it's actually tomorrow I'm, I'm sure I'll get a reminder in my, in my um, do you diary. buy a gift for 10 years? 
Well, we went we 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 away for the weekend, so we went to Akira for two nights. No kitties. Yeah, got rid of the kitties. Uh, Swimming with the dolphins. Oh, was it good? It was good, but when you've done it in Kona, when it's free and you have swarms of dolphins around you. It's a different experience, isn't it? It's different. It was fun to do and enjoyed it. A lot of bopping around in the water and stuff and just waiting. And the dolphins are quite tiny. The hectare dolphins in New Zealand are tiny. So we had a good time, ate lots of food. Certainly wouldn't have been taking my fitness pal over to Akira. How many carbs do you have there, John? <laughs> I'll tell you, it did feel rubbish once you've had them. Um, yeah, when you eat out, it's very difficult to do by carb. Yeah, uh, totally, it must be. So we went to Akira and that was pretty much my weekend. This week I've got, I'm um, organising. Akira's a nice place to go to, isn't it? Mm. You know? Cruise boats come in. Bloody hell, they, the need, they need my fitness app, i tell you what. The old, old, old ladies and the old men with their canes, eh? Oh my goodness. I had a friend who did a cruise ship recently. I've, like, a cruise ship doesn't come into my mind at this stage of my life. Mm. I can see as you age, it'd be a really cool thing. But they were our age and they absolutely loved it. Mm. They said it was, it was amazing. This week, organising the regional secondary schools triathlon on Thursday. Nope. And my study starts today. So I'm going to go sit in a three-hour lecture this afternoon. Boring. <laughs> and I tell you, I did laugh. I saw, I just had a quick scan through the PowerPoint that we're going to be going through. I saw the old, uh, one of the pictures of like the food diagram. Pyramid. I was like, oh dear. You have to well, ask me questions on that. This is going to be really interesting because you're going to be the, you're going to be the pain in the ass student, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. Trying to be too much of a pain in the ass. Team, we've got some sad news. And actually, Tim O'Connell, Tim Connell, sorry, actually emailed us about this before the sad event happened saying, could we mention her on the show? And unfortunately, we've had a death in our community. Um, in the last week, and John, someone you know. Yes, so Bevan, you might have to take over here because yeah. I might struggle a yeah, bit. Totally. So, how's your name? Sheree Lutz. Lutz, okay, is from Sydney, tragically passed away in a sudden circumstances over the weekend. Our sincere condolences to Rob, her husband, who is also an Ironman athlete. She was a listener of the show and was just two weeks ago was in John's training camp here in Christchurch. Uh, Cherie was a unique character who inspired so many around her in her local community and online. She would open her heart on Facebook sharing her battles and showing everyone that anything is possible. She would regularly show up in races to walk newbies to the, through the tough stages of the races. Further, she would mentor local friends who are often battling to break into exercise by joining them on teen races and pushing them every step of the way. She was a coach to many and showed me her personality and personally her character by bouncing back from setbacks and immediately setting new goals. She'll be missed and we dedicate today's show to Cherie. Um, One of Cherie's favourite quotes was, "Live, uh, live life, love deeply and have an adventure every day. So... Um, just want to send our love out to her family and her loved ones and uh, obviously her community and the world. You know, Cherise was obviously someone who represents everything that triathlon is great about. So I know it's a bit emotional for John. It is. So I'm not going to add anything else. Sorry. Yeah, that's all right, mate. It's, 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 yeah, it's, it's fair. And just, um, man, it's, it's sad when these things happen. So just Cherie and your family, uh, Rob and, and, and her community, just with thoughts going out to her. So that's uh, today's show. John Boo. You can wrap it up, Bevan. I'm Russ. I'm in Don't Train Hard, Train Smart, Kia Car.